1: Today, we are reacting to the Denver Broncos 2018 NFL Draft Class. Did the Broncos come away with a haul that can finally make an impact? We'll answer that question. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in everybody to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented by Mile High Huddle and 247 Sports. I am your host, Chad Jensen, and with me is my still brand new co-host. We've been together now rocking it for a couple of weeks, just cranking out the content, killing it. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 247 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, it's been a whirlwind of the last few days. How you holding up, bro?
0: I'm hanging in there, man. Like you said, it's been kind of crazy the last couple days. A lot of moves, a lot of exciting picks, a lot of content coming out. But I'm excited to talk what's a very, very interesting draft class.
1: Oh, yeah. Zach has been dropping six to eight articles a day on what's been cracking with the Broncos since the draft uh, began. So he's just been working furiously to make sure you guys have everything you need to know about the players that are coming in, the picks, what's cooking. So props to you, my friend. You've been cranking. Appreciate that. A man of the people. Amen, brother. Well, follow the show, you guys, on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, and make sure that you take some time to leave a creative review on the show wherever you listen to it. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, Spreaker, we're everywhere. But just take some time, rate the show, leave a very creative review. Helps us to grow and reach new listeners. And one last piece of business before Zach and I dive into the 2018 Broncos draft class we got to say thank you to our sponsor of the show today, Audible. You guys, go out and get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, an Android, or Kindle, even just an MP3 player. audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Phenomenal app and service that I use literally on the reg every single day. I'm using Audible because I love to read. But as busy as I am trying to cover your Denver Broncos, I don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages on the books that I want to read. So I'll pop Audible on while I'm at the gym or you know, while I'm in the car or in the kitchen, and it allows me to get these books under my belt without having to sit down and read. I'm multitasking, and you can do it too. Audible's giving you an opportunity to get that free book plus the 30-day free trial. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up, capitalize on this opportunity, and patronize our sponsors. All right, as mentioned, it has been a hectic but exciting three days since your Denver Broncos began adding to the roster via the NFL draft, and there is so much to talk about, so much to break down. And there's a time and a place, I think, for grading a draft class, you know, even right after it concludes. But the truth is we're not really going to know how well John Elway did with this class until at least a year down the road, right? That's when we can, in retrospect, We have information, we have real football that can help us to inform our analysis and grade the 2018 Broncos draft class. However, that doesn't mean that Zach and I can't rate or grade Elway's draft hall right now, at least based on what we know about these 10 selections the Broncos made and how each guy fits into the roster moving forward. So we will go through each pick, uh, but we'll save our ultimate grade for the end of the show. So let's start it off. Thursday night, all eyes were on the Broncos. What were they going to do with the fifth pick? Were they going to take a quarterback? Were they going to trade up? Were they going to trade back? started out with a bang for the Broncos. And as hard as it might be to believe, according to Elway, none of the mock simulations the Broncos front office and the scouting department ran before the draft had Bradley Chubb slipping to pick five. But with Baker Mayfield going number one to Cleveland, Saquon Barkley going two to the Giants, Sam Darnold going three to the Jets, Cleveland came up on pick four. All eyes were on John Dorsey. He chose, however, not to go edge rusher and instead took the best cornerback in the class, Ohio State's Denzel Ward, which saw the big NC State edge rusher, Bradley Chubb, slip to within Broncos, uh, the Broncos' grasp. Now, Denver had two very good quarterbacks, in Josh Allen and Josh Rosen, at their fingertips, but instead went defense. They chose Chubb. Arguably the best prospect in the class, but at the very least, the best defensive prospect in the class. Now, Zach, there's a lot to talk about here, but let me just start with this, and we'll see where the discussion leads us. Did the Broncos make the right decision passing on Rosen or, or an Allen? to take Bradley Chubb and, of course, your thoughts overall on Chubb and what he brings to the Broncos' defense.
0: First of all, on behalf of the Broncos, I want to give a big shout-out to the Browns for reaching about five picks too early and taking Denzel Ward over arguably the best pound-for-pound prospect in the draft (laughs) in Bradley Chubb. I mean, the guy landed right in John Elway's laps. Uh, Like you said, not one mock simulation had him coming to Denver at number five. He shouldn't have been on the board. So I I appreciate that on behalf of the Broncos from John Dorsey, making that pick of Ward. Now, was it the right call? I do believe it was. Among the, the quarterbacks still on the board, Rosen and Allen, the Broncos did not favor them. They wanted Sam Darnold. They wanted Baker Mayfield. Both of those guys were off of the board before they got on the clock. In that scenario, it came down to Chubb versus Quinton Nelson or trade down. They wanted to trade down with the Bills. John Elway did admit that, and he backed out of that trade because Bradley Chubb fell into their laps. It was an irresistible player at a position of need, at outside linebacker, which is where he'll play, opposite Vaughn Miller. He's going to bring an instant, immediate, day-one contribution as an edge rusher. It gives the Broncos insurance in case they want to move on from Shane Ray and not pick up his fifth-year option. If Shaq Barrett leaves next year in unrestricted free agency, it was absolutely the right move for the Broncos. It shouldn't have happened, uh, but the Broncos just lived out a dream scenario by landing arguably the best prospect in this entire top-heavy draft class.
1: I mean, for fans that are disappointed that it wasn't a quarterback, and I understand that because – I was of the opinion that the Broncos should take the best available quarterback at the top of the draft. But the flip side to that coin was that the Broncos were not high on Josh Rosen. I mean, they have, I mean, they study the same tape that we do. They see all the same stuff on that regard that we do, but they are privy to a lot more information on the inside that we are not. And for whatever reason, they did not like Rosen or Allen at least that high. And so, as Zach mentioned, I mean, with both Mayfield and and Darnold being gone. This became a no-brainer decision. And personally, I would much prefer the decision as it was, taking Chubb, taking the best defensive player in the class at pick 5 rather than trading back and getting a, you know, Vita Vea or a, you know, somebody else in the middle of the uh, first round. So, ultimately, it might not be the sexy pick that a lot of Broncos fans were pining for Zach. I mean, so many Broncos fans had their hearts set with such a top heavy quarterback class and possibly what could end up being a historic quarterback class. So many fans had their hearts set on that, and they've just kind of had to redirect and get behind this Chubb pick because it's not like Chubb is some kind of subpar player. I mean, he's at the top of the draft for a reason, but I think a lot of that initial disappointment that I heard from a lot of readers and fans and people on Twitter was just the fact that it wasn't a quarterback.
0: I think a lot of that disappointment, at least initially, was because Elway, he has a proclivity to take a defensive player in the first round. He's done it with Shane Ray, Bradley Roby, Von Miller. I think a lot of Broncos fans identified the offense as a unit that needs to be built up more. And they wanted a quarterback, but it was never going to be Rosen. It was never going to be Allen. They just did not like those QBs over Darnold and Mayfield. And overall, I think Elway was really dead set on not going QB at the top of round one. He didn't pick up a QB at all in this draft with all 10 picks. After the draft, he admitted that he's not going to add a fourth quarterback to the roster, which says to me they have confidence in Case Keenum as a starter. They still have hope for Pax and Lynch, and they're going to see what Chad Kelly can do as a number three. Lynch and Kelly now are competing for that backup role, but I think it was never really a— a distinct possibility that they were going to go QB at the top of the draft. I think Chubb landing in their lap solidified what they want to do. And fans, not a lot of fans thought that Chubb would fall to them anyway. I think a lot of them have since got on board. So it was a great pick. I understand why fans wanted a QB, but you cannot pass up on the talent that Chubb offers.
1: Yeah, amen. And the thing is, too, is you look back at Elway's track record, which you brought up, the only time he hasn't gone defense with his first pick in the draft was 2 years ago when he took Paxton Lynch and the Broncos are still Ooh. feeling this the sting yep. and the pains from that decision and so this was one of those quintessential moments where Elway saw Bradley Chubb fall and it's like look I'm not going to I'm not going to look this gift horse in the mouth pun intended I mean I'm going to take what the football gods are blessing me with here say thank you please and continue on my way but to your point about what this says and we'll get into kind of the deeper implications later in the show but with what you brought up with You know, what this says about Denver's opinion on the quarterbacks they currently have and not taking a single quarterback, even though they had a multitude of opportunities to do so, not only early, but in the mid-rounds when you saw guys like Kyle Lalletta falling, Luke Falk, some of those other guys, Mike White. I think this says, as, as you intimated there, the Broncos, A, are all in on Case Keenum. B, they're still not quite ready to throw in the towel You know, they have a little bit of egg on their face with regard to Paxton Lynch. They're not quite ready to throw in the towel yet. They want to give him a little bit more time. I don't necessarily see this as a vote of confidence in Paxton Lynch. I see this more as a self-preservation mode where the Broncos are trying to save a little bit of face. But even diving a little bit deeper than that, Chad Kelly. Now, bless his heart, Eric Trickle, my good friend, Mile High Huddle senior draft analyst, You know, he's not high on Chad Kelly. And we had an argument about this today, you know, in good nature. It was fun uh, in messaging. We have a good time going at it. And I think Chad Kelly is a lot higher in regard in the minds of the Broncos, okay, than a lot of people might realize. And he's a guy that has first round traits in many respects. He's got a nickel head, you know, but he proved in this last year, once the Broncos drafted him, that he can focus on football, stay out of the limelight. Stay out of situations that he doesn't belong, and prove that he can live like a pro, which I think really earned him some 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 points in the eyes of the Broncos, and is leading to him having this opportunity. As Elway said at the uh, after the draft, I mean he's going to compete with Paxton Lynch for the backup job. And one last thing, Zach, before I throw this back to you, I was listening to on Thursday night right as we got into uh, the the top of the first round. Chad Kelly appeared on 104.3 The Fan in Denver, sat down for draft night, they were asking him questions. I thought it was interesting. One of the, They asked him, you know, what's been your perception getting back to work, you know, OTAs and all that. He said one of the things that he said right out of the gates was that Case Keenum is the leader. Not a leader, Case Keenum is the leader. I thought that was interesting.
0: Definitely. And a couple things here, to your point about Paxton Lynch, There was a report that actually came out a few months ago. I can't remember who reported it exactly, but they said that John Elway is now gun-shy on taking quarterbacks at the top of the draft after whiffing so badly on Paxton Lynch. So you wonder if there's some credence to that report, first of all, when it comes to Lynch. About Kelly, I I think he is, like you said, he is more valuable to the Broncos than in the minds of some fans. Uh, Some of the Broncos' fan base thinks he was just a gift not a gift, but he was a favorite pick by John Elway to Jim Kelly, his close friend, and uh, Chad Kelly's uncle. I don't think so. I think coming out of Ole Miss, he, he was a, a playmaker who came from a pro-style offense. He has a very strong arm. He, he's a very um, smart quarterback. He needs some work around the edges. He needs to keep his nose clean, figuratively and literally. Literally. Uh, but I think he has a lot to offer this Broncos team, and I think that's why they're finally giving him a chance to yep. push that, that number two role. And I think he can make something of himself. And I think what the Broncos like about him is this offseason, it's been no BS. He's honed his craft. He's got over his wrist and knee surgeries. He's uh, you know been dive, deep diving into the playbook. He's, he looked great. He's been training hard. And I think the Broncos see that and they're ready to give him a shot to have a bigger role on the team in 2018.
1: Yeah. I honestly think with his skill set, his competitive st- um, mindset, his will to win, all that, I think he's going to absolutely crush Paxton Lynch in an open competition. because I, yeah. I mean, we've seen Paxton Lynch fall short of Mr. Noodlearm himself, Trevor Simeon, the guy with – Very little leadership charisma and, you know, pizzazz, juice, whatever you want to call it. Very little wherewithal, and even as a quarterback from a tools perspective, very little to work with. There's a reason, after all, Trevor Simeon was a seventh-round pick in 2015, and Paxton Lynch could not vanquish him in an open competition, and then in comes Chad Kelly, a guy with first-round tools. You know, he's on a mission to prove himself. I I honestly think that it's going to be a horror show for Paxton Lynch once they get into – you know, the active phases of OTAs and training camp.
0: It's going to, John Elway's ego can't prevent uh, Paxton Lynch from bombing in his third season, if that comes true. They're giving him one more shot. It's it's almost like Vance Joseph. Paxton Lynch is on his own out to sink or swim mm-hmm. on his own on his own volition. If he doesn't perform, if he does, at least doesn't progress into a backup quarterback as a, a first round pick, what do you keep him around for? I wrote today, I wrote a few hours ago that the Broncos have seen Paxton Lynch in action and they've perhaps seen all they have to see in Paxton Lynch. The same cannot be said about Chad Kelly. He's that wild card and I think he they have to see what they have in him and I think he could show more than what Paxton Lynch has offered, which isn't much.
1: Absolutely. Now, you know, parting thoughts with regard to Bradley Chubb before we move into the second round. You know, you brought up Shane Ray. This is definitely putting him on notice. I mean, the Broncos showed love to Shaq Barrett by tendering him. You know, he's going to be making just shy of $3 bucks in 2018, which for an undrafted rookie from Colorado st- uh, State is a Penny. phenomenal paycheck, phenomenal paycheck for Shaq Barrett, even on a one-year uh, deal like that. But uh, I don't see this as being in any way, shape, or form a, sh- a show of faith in Shane Ray. And with that deadline coming next week, May 3rd, to pick up his fifth-year option, I'll, I'll make my, my prediction now. I don't think the Broncos are going to pick it up. I don't
0: either. And even though John Elway said that he wants to have all the pass rushers, he wants to have Vaughn, he wants to have Chubb, uh, Shane Ray, and Shaq Barrett, they cannot keep them all. It's just not feasible in today's NFL with the salary cap. Shaq Barrett is going to be an unrestricted free agent next offseason. He's going to get a massive contract or at least a pretty lucrative contract for an edge rusher, a capable edge rusher, who's not yet even in his prime, it's hard to find in the NFL. And if I had it my way, I would keep Barrett over Shane Ray. So I'm with you. I think they decline on him, and they keep him around for one more year, and they move on next offseason with Chubb
1: and Vaughn, and hopefully they've re Shaq Barrett. The bright side? I mean, let's hope that this serves as a reality check for Shane Ray. And going into a contract year, what could very well be a contract year, we see a improved version of Shane Ray, a guy on a mission to prove himself. And even if that ship has sailed for the Broncos, I mean, he could come out in 2018 and with double-digit sacks go on to earn a very lucrative contract. And even if that happens with someone outside of the Broncos, at least Denver can capitalize on hopefully a, a motivated Shane Ray in 2018. Now, moving into the second round, the Broncos held the eighth pick, had their eyes on a few players still available from the uh, whom the front office had First-round grades on. We saw offensive guards, for example, Will Hernandez and Austin Corbett go back-to-back to, back to open round two. Then the Georgia running back and cousin to uh, Denver's first-round pick, Nick Chubb. And then the Broncos picked, their decision ultimately was SMU wideout Cortland Sutton, a player whom the team had a first-round grade on. This is a big-bodied receiver, uh, six foot three, two 220 pounds, He's the type of guy that can go up there and get 50-50 balls. He's got a lot of tools to work with. He's not the fastest receiver, but as I wrote uh, the night that the pick was made, he's not exactly a slow poke either. I mean, he's got four or five speed, so he can can do a lot. But what really impressed me, Zach, is when Sutton had the opportunity to address the media and the fans in his introductory press conference on Saturday, I was blown away by his charisma, not cocky – impetuous charisma but true self-possession self-confidence he was articulate he was humble and it's clear that he has championed at the bit to hit the grass with Demarius Thomas and his fellow SMU Mustang Emmanuel Sanders I really like this pick personally your thoughts on the six foot three 220 pound Cortland Sutton
0: this is probably probably my favorite pick in the entire draft class, and John Elway really hit a home run, but on this pick, he hit a grand slam. Sutton should not have been on the board at number 40. This guy was being mocked, you know, as recently as a couple weeks ago, up there with the DJ Moore's and the Calvin Ridley's in the first round to fall to number forty and to get an heir apparent to Demarius Thomas, who's getting up there in age, still productive, getting up there in age, and they and get, they get a guy who so closely mirrors him at that pick. It's just tremendous value. I love the player. I love what he can bring to the table. He's a big body possession receiver, like you said, he has the attitude, the cockiness, the edge, and I think the the offense kind of needs that after the last couple years. They haven't really had that swagger since Peyton Manning hung up his his legendary cleats. And I think they're getting some of that back now with the players they picked up. But it comes from Sutton, who is just going to be an all-star receiver, I think, in Denver and a big-body red zone target for Case Keenum.
1: Yep, absolutely. The weapons are just growing for Case Keenum. I mean, he's stacking the war chest, so to speak. And this is a guy in Cortland Sutton who, you know, he's already – he feels like has been annoying Demarius Thomas in terms of, hey, man, when can we get together? Hey, man, when can we get out and start running routes? Hey, man, like he wa- he wants to learn at the feet of guys like Thomas and Sanders who have been at the top of the mountain, not only in a team perspective, winning it all in 2015, but on an individual level, these guys know what it takes as pros to put in the work to become Pro bowlers to become all pro caliber players, and I really like that spirit that Sutton has in terms of look. I'm a sponge, you know. I'm going to just jump in your in your hip pocket and soak in everything I possibly can.
0: I love that. You know, as the old expression goes, "Closed mouths don't get fed." He wants to be an all pro. He's admired Demarius Thomas. He said it himself that Demarius Thomas is an all pro talent. He wants to be just like that. I love it. I love the attitude already on day one. I think it's going to be beneficial for many years to come.
1: And, again, it's a guy who can step in a draft pick in the second round. I mean, we're so used to so many of these, especially the last two draft classes for the Broncos. I mean, these are picks that are made, and we hear about the potential. We hear about the ceiling and all that. But it doesn't come out in the wash, right? We're left on the hook. They don't produce on the field. They don't make that immediate impact that the team is, is hoping they can do. And in this case, with Cortland Sutton, while it remains to be seen exactly what he's going to produce for the Broncos as a rookie, I am 100% confident, as confident as I can be without you know, knowing the future, that this is a guy that's going to be able to step in and immediately make an impact as a rookie, which is a far cry from what Denver went through back in 2014 when they invested a second-round pick in Cody Latimer. I, I was just going to mention that, that. I saw some
0: fans comparing Cortland Sutton to Cody Latimer, and it couldn't be more ridiculous. It couldn't be more off. They are nothing alike. And this is a guy who has a skill set that trumps Cody Latimer. A guy who's going to come in, he will come in, guaranteed, from day one and contribute. Whether that's a number three, whether that's in the slot, it doesn't matter where he plays you know, specifically, but they're going to get him on the field, get him in the red zone, throw up a couple 50-50 balls to him. It's going to make a big impact. He's nothing like Cody Latimer. And they didn't get much of a contribution, like you said, from their second round picks last year. Demarcus Walker on the defensive side, he didn't play. But no matter where they play, Sutton, whether it's outside or on the slot, you could do a lot with him. And I think he will contribute heavily in 2018.
1: Amen, brother. As day two continued, moving on here into the third round, all eyes were on the Broncos and what Elway would do with the number 71 overall pick. With a massive hole at running back left by the departure of CJ Anderson. The pick ended up being Oregon's Royce Freeman. Now, Freeman is a guy that left the college ranks as Oregon's all-time leading rusher, which is saying something. I mean, you think about the prolific offensive attacks that program has had over the last decade and a half. This guy's the all-time leading rusher, and he totaled 60 rushing touchdowns, which I also believe is a record for the Ducks in his collegiate rec- uh, career. 60 rushing touchdowns. I mean, this guy is just a a touchdown machine. He's a touchdown hog. Now, some fans uh, panned this pick, and while I am not, you know, I wouldn't say I'm over the moon about Royce Freeman, I think he is a running back with elite production on his resume. I mean, talk about a guy who can actually deliver on what his potential is. Just look at his resume. He brings toughness, he brings tenacity, and a very violent running style, which in that regard kind of reminds me of Jawan Thompson in his early days in Denver. He's just a guy that when he has the ball in his hand, he's looking to be the guy that lays the lick on the defender rather than the other way around. Now, Zach, the concern a lot of fans and some analysts I've talked to, including some Mile High Huddle guys, have with Freeman is the wear and tear. He had over 1,000 touches at Oregon, and with Monte Ball, you know that failure so recent in the memories of Broncos country, it's a legit concern. I do get it. But one thing Freeman has that Ball did not is that high character, that high football IQ, a strong work ethic, and let's also face it too, Zach, he was playing in the Pac-12 in spread systems going against light boxes. So, you know, if this were a 1,000 touches, even in the Big Ten or especially in the SEC, I think it would carry a lot more weight than a running back coming out of the Pac-12. But in your opinion, how much tread does Freeman have left on his tires? Your thoughts on the pick
0: well, you can't look at a 22-year-old rookie, no matter who it is, and say a thousand touches is not a lot. It is. So, you know, some shred has come off the Rolls Royces tires, but John Elway has kind of a glass half full approach. He spun it and rationalized the fact he was asked about this yesterday. He said it means he's durable. It means he's proven himself. I could see that. I could see why he would say that. And I I think that, Freeman has produced at the high at that level, at a college level. Like you said, he's very versatile. He's put up the stats and numbers. He's the all-time leading rusher with the Ducks. And I compare him to almost like a rich man's C.J. Anderson. They, they're almost the same playing weight, the same kind of running style between the tackles, that banger type. But he's a little more athletic out on the edge to get in space. He wants to run people over, he said. He wants to initiate contact, and that goes along with Sutton is bringing that edge, that swagger back to the Broncos offense, and another red zone option when they get close to the goal line is to bang between the tackles, that offensive line,
1: get in the end zone. thing that fans need to keep in mind as well with trying to compare a guy with so much tread on the tires, or so little, so to speak, that perception that he's had so many touches heading into the pros and comparing that to Monte Ball is the fact that Monte Ball's problem did not end up being durability. I mean, he had a groin injury if I remember as a rookie in 2013, but it only it only kept him down for a week or two. Monte Ball's issue n- never really was physical health. His problems and what eventually led to him washing out with the Broncos way early was his mindset, his mental comportment. Okay, this is a guy that struggled with alcoholism. Uh, was drinking, even during training camp, he'd be out drinking, wake up with hangovers, wake up drunk, he said, after the fact. So from a character perspective, you can't even compare these two, Zach.
0: No, they're nothing alike as a football player or, you know, just individual. Like you said, he struggled with some demons, Monte Ball, and Freeman doesn't have those concerns. He's a very high quality individual, very smart, and very intense on the field. So I don't think it's anything alike. I've seen some pre-draft comparisons that compare Freeman to Deontay Foreman, who came out of Texas last year, mm. and I still think he's a rich man's version of C.J. Anderson. hes an, I'm not going to lie and say he was my top running back in this draft class. Yeah, sure. He was definitely my— you know my third fourth fifth option on the board at least but i'm definitely happy with them the broncos could have done a lot worse they had to get a running back and they got a pretty good one and it fills that anderson role so perfectly with almost an identical clone to him
1: yep and as elway mentioned and even freeman himself in his introductory press conference what that means to him that thousand touches going into the pros and you alluded to as well zach is durability so let's hang our hats on that for now and uh you know, see how it, it comes out in the wash once he actually hits the field in training camp. Now, with their compensatory pick at the end of the third round, the Broncos took a cornerback whom they'd become intimately familiar with during their time coaching him at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Boston College standout Isaac Yadam. For fans wondering, since it is a curiously spelled name, Isaac himself, I heard him do it on Saturday, pronounces it Yadim. Think Adam with a Y. Anyway, this was Denver's first draft pick, who was not a team captain in college, but he has leadership and character in spades. So that theme continues into the bottom of the third round. And Zach, you know, you want to talk over the moon. Eric Trickle was gaga over this pick, and I understand it. Going back, watching some of the tape, you know, I don't I don't break down the tape as much as some of these other uh, whack jobs that Zach and I keep around for their expertise who spend enormous amounts of time breaking down tape on the college ranks leading up to the draft. I mean, we rely on these guys for their expertise in that regard. But from what I've studied on Isaac Yadam, this is a very feisty uh, cornerback who is going to fit in quite nicely in Denver. And when he arrived for his presser, he made it clear, Zach, that in his opinion, the no-fly zone is not some relic of the past. Your thoughts on the Yadam pick?
0: No, he still thinks it's very much in play, and a lot of Broncos players, new and old, think that no-fly zone secondary is still among the best in the NFL. I like this pick. I have no problems with it. He's a very sticky defender, uh, lanky, athletic, long arms. He can succeed in man press. Also some zone. The Broncos run a hybrid, kind of both those schemes, so... I love the pick. They needed a cornerback. It also kind of says to me that they spent a third-round pick on Brendan Langley last year, and it's been another one, another corner when they already signed Tremaine Brock. They had Bradley Roby. They had Chris Harris Jr. What does it say about him that they spent another high-round draft pick on the same position? But I love the guy. I like him more than I like Langley coming out last year. I think eventually he can be a long-term successor to Chris Harris.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the big differences between Yadam and Langley – you know, both obviously third round compensatory picks by the Broncos, so they're going to be, and back to back classes, so they're going to be compared to each other quite a bit. But in terms of Brandon Langley, this was a guy who was still learning how to play cornerback when the Broncos called his name on draft day. I mean, this is a guy extremely raw, similar that they were both uh, at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, Broncos didn't coach the Senior Bowl last year, but in Langley's case, I mean, he is not only raw in terms of technique, but just the mental acumen that it takes, the experience, understanding the game from, from that perspective, he is far behind. And, and Vance Joseph talked about it at the NFL owners meeting in Orlando back in March that that's the biggest hangup with Brendan Langley is he's still acclimating to what it means to play cornerback at the pro level. And Yadam can come in right away and make an impact. And as he talked about as well, I mean, he is completely down to contribute in any way he possibly can, including special teams. And I think as a gunner, as a guy who can get down there on punt uh, and kick returns, is a guy who could also make an impact similar to what we saw from Kayvon Webster, who was also a third round pick of the Broncos way back in, I think it was 2013. You make
0: a couple of great points there. The fact that He's more advanced. He can give Langley some time to learn and develop and not force him into the fire. And also the fact that the Broncos really placed an emphasis on getting team captains, experienced guys, leaders, and guys they've met with at the Senior Bowl. They coach at the Senior Bowl firsthand. And uh, Yadam was definitely one of the guys they liked the most coming out of that game. So. Uh, Special teams cannot be discounted either. You make a great point, Shad, in the fact that they lost Benny Fowler and Cody Latimer, two of the best gunners in the NFL, and they needed some guys to step up, rookies or current players, and they got a good one in the Adam who can help on defense and special teams under first-year coordinator Tom McMahon.
1: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. All right, so that wraps up day two for the Denver Broncos. Now, getting into day three, Denver continued to set about the process of filling roster holes and needs, looking for those impact players. And once again, Elway found great value in the fourth round in an off-ball linebacker that most scouts and draft guys that I have talked to had rated as a late second, early third rounder in Iowa's Josie Jewell. The knock-on Jewel is his 4'8 speed, but this is an instinctual linebacker, as instinctual as they come, Which I think is evidenced by his 32 career passes defensed. You know, this is a guy that he just has a nose for the football, and he might not have that straight line speed, you know, on a 40 in the underwear Olympics that's going to blow your mind. But when it comes to game speed and just being there when he needs to be there, that is Josie Jewell. Now, when this pick was announced, I literally smiled. I couldn't believe, actually, that the Broncos were getting Josie Jewell. He was mocked to Denver many times by. Mile High Huddle and other Broncos analysts and even those who cover the the, the NFL outside of Denver. But the Broncos get yet another smart, high character, former team captain, and he's coming to Denver. It might be putting Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis on notice a little bit, but he'll be a much-needed depth piece on the second level of Joe Wood's defense, and he filled a major hole in terms of need for the Broncos.
0: This is what happens when need meets value, and I don't know who John always sold his soul to for these players to drop right in his lap, but Jewel is another one, and I also smiled. I could not believe that not only was he on the board, but the Broncos had enough foresight to actually take him. He'll never be a sideline-to-sideline side Patrick Willis type, but the Broncos don't really need that. This is a guy who's going to come in from day one, contribute on defense. He's good in pass coverage, and the Broncos really made it a point to improve their pass defense with tight ends, with running backs, middle of the field, they traded for with Cravens. Now they have Jewel. When John Elway called him to announce that he was being drafted by the team, he said, "You're a really good player, but also a really good person." They really place an emphasis on high-character team captains who are good people and can help, you know, develop leadership on this defense, not just mm-hmm. performance on the field.
1: You know, I wonder how much of that because. You know, the last two draft classes have been replete with the opposite of that from a character perspective, immaturity, guys who don't have their priorities in line. I wonder how much of this new leaf that the Broncos are turning over with this draft class in terms of how they're profiling these guys has to do with Gary Kubiak being involved in the pre-draft process, scouting, and also being in that war room helping to make decisions.
0: Kubiak is the best thing that could have happened to John Elway. He He's one of the few people that Elway really trusts from a scouting perspective and on a personal level. Kubiak has a great eye for talent. You can say what you want about him as a coach, as a uh, what he did with the quarterbacks with Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch, but the guy just has an eye for talent and he knows good players when he sees them. Now, why are they bringing in so many high-profile, high-character players? You have to wonder how out of control that locker room might have been last mm. year. You know, after the season, Vance Joseph cut a lot of his coaching staff, and he really didn't give any concrete answers as to why. Maybe there was some dissension going on there. Maybe he was getting a little out of control, and they didn't have anyone truly stepping up to get that, that locker room back on track. And that's why they emphasized leaders and team captains
1: absolutely and i think it's also just a symptom of the broncos learning from some of their very recent mistakes in the draft and especially last year the the class that was you know characterized as the healthy scratch class i mean so many of those guys that were either injured or just not contributing on game day i mean a lot of them suffered from immaturity issues and it does not appear at this point that's going to be a problem for the broncos in 2018 and we still have five more draft picks to dissect, But before we do, let us holler at you about why you need to become a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber. Our approach to covering the Broncos, it's not just about reporting the news, because everyone does that, because it's that's what gets the clicks, and we understand that. But what Zach and I, everyone else at Mile High Huddle, what we want to focus on is breaking down the Broncos in depth, whether it's all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, deep dive player evaluation, and now coming out of the draft, analysis on this class and we save our best and most in-depth content for our vip subscribers our premium members to become a mile high huddle vip and get access to 100 of our written analysis and our vip insider forums just click on the green banner at the top of the website you can click the monthly or the annual option and you'll be locked in and from there you get access to everything we produce which includes any insider info we pick up along the way and we work hard trust me to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web. We ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. Pull the trigger. You have my word. You will not be disappointed. All right, with their second fourth-round selection in the 2018 draft, the Broncos followed suit on these character leader guys, but also guys with talent, picking up Penn State wideout, Deshaun Hamilton. He's another guy that they got a really up-close look at at the Senior Bowl I love this pick personally. Uh, I think he's a guy that, I mean, the Broncos basically, Carlos Henderson's on notice, no doubt, but push Henderson to the side for a second. The Broncos with this draft class, now with Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton, have a succession plan, a legitimate one for Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, who are both now, Zach, on the wrong side of 30. they're getting
0: up their age. They're very highly paid. It was surprising that the Broncos brought both of them back this year at their current rates, but they've set themselves up for the long term. And if Sutton is Thomas's heir apparent, then Hamilton is Emmanuel Sanders' heir apparent. They're almost very similar in the sense that they win with their route running. They win with separation. Not the tallest guy in the world, not the speediest guy in the world, but another guy who's going to come in, whether from the slot or outside, you can move him around. He's going to help this passing offense out, help Case Keenum out. And it does put Henderson on notice. Henderson was a third-round pick. He spent his entire rookie season on IR. He had an injury. Then he got arrested in January for weed, so it's not the best start to his NFL career. And I think anything they get out of Henderson now is a bonus. You have Thomas, Sanders, Sutton, and Hamilton as your top four. You have Jordan Taylor. You have Kenny Bell So anything and Isaiah McKenzie. Anything you get out of Henderson now is a bonus, and it really gave the Broncos more insurance with Hamilton not to rely on Henderson to develop.
1: And if they do end up getting something out of Henderson, I mean, if he can even cash in on 50% of the potential that he has, I mean, he is a very talented young player. And he got kind of upside down trying to acclimate to life as a pro, trying to learn the playbook and assimilate this new way of life, kind of threw him for a loop, and then he got hurt. So, Even though the signs aren't pointing in the right direction with him getting arrested in January, these picks are putting him on notice. So if he can come into camp and even cash in, Zach, on just half of that potential and that talent that he has and what what the Broncos saw when they invested a third-rounder in him last year, I mean, the Broncos are going to have some serious weapons, young talent, cheap talent, at the wide receiver position for Case Keenum.
0: Yeah, I loved Henderson coming out of uh, Louisiana Tech, I believe it was. And he had all the upside in the world as a kicker-turner, as a wide receiver. He was that game-breaking electric threat they needed. It just didn't work out. But he was one of my favorite draft picks from last year. So if he can just get up to snuff and learn the playbook, this is going to be a dynamic passing offense. And when is the last time you heard dynamic and Broncos offense (laughs) in the same sentence?
1: (sighs) Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. 2014, I guess, the first half of that season before it started going downhill. But, but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree at all with any of that. So the Broncos are stacking that war chest with some talent, with some weapons for Case Keenum, and I think it's going to pay dividends out of the gates in 2018. Now, moving on to the fifth round, Broncos love them, some Big Ten tight ends, Zach. After a trade with Seattle – which netted the Broncos a seventh rounder, which they did not have heading into the draft. They ended up taking that 156th pick in the fifth round and investing it in Wisconsin's Troy Fumagalli. Now, Fumagalli is another one of these senior bowl guys, and while he might only have nine fingers due to a, a birth defect, this is a guy who can step in. He can play the Y. He can play the F at tight end for the Broncos, and he's another high-character, hardworking football-appreciating former team captain. And John Elway, I mean, he's he's putting all kinds of dudes on notice with this this draft class, Zach, because with the addition of Fumagalli, Jeff Hyrman is now being faced with put up or shut up. Well, first
0: of all, I'm of the mind that Hyrman is a bust. He was a high-round draft pick. He hasn't performed nearly as much as he should have, given the opportunities he's had behind Virgil Green in years past. But, Fumagalli is the pass catcher they needed to come away with. You cannot rely on Jake Butt, who had a washed-out rookie season, to be that starter. I was surprised they didn't pick up a veteran tight end in free agency. They had a couple options there. Didn't go that way, so they're going to go on what they have right now with Fumagalli, Hyreman, and Austin Trailer, and uh, and Butt. So between those four, you should have some good pass catchers. And again, it's another option for Case Keenum in that passing game, and they really made it a point to get Keenum some weapons and then build up this passing offense. After they've had pretty much nothing to work with uh, behind
1: Thomas and Sanders in a couple last the past couple of years, you know what this also tells me with the addition of a couple of running backs, well, a few running backs uh, when you count the undrafted ranks, which we'll get to later in the show here, just a few minutes, but also the tight end. I just don't see a place on this roster for Andy Janovich, the fullback, mm-hmm. in twenty eighteen. Now, look, I've been the guy that's been saying this now for at least a year and I get a lot of shade for it, and I understand it. I don't – listen, Andy Janovich is a great football player, okay? But he plays a position that is outdated, has been phased out of the NFL. Gary Kubiak is gone, and even if Gary Kubiak was still coaching this team and calling the plays, the Bron, every roster spot on the Broncos 53, once that regular season kicks off, for a team coming off 5-11, and 11, each spot is valuable. And if you're not a guy, and I understand he plays teams, you know, he's, he's, he's a very willing and active player on special teams, but he's not a guy that's going to be able to make an impact and drastically alter the destiny of this team. So with additional tight ends coming in and different needs at the running back position and the Broncos just looking for some impact and some firepower, I think that with the addition included with Troy Fumagalli, the writing might be on the wall for one Andy Janovich. Your thoughts? I
0: don't get the the cult icon status that Janovich has is it because right. he had that long touchdown run in the first game in 2016 He's a good fullback, he's a good team player, You know, he looks the part, but the fullback position is going the way of the Dodo Bird, if it hasn't already. Mm-hmm. It's just not part of the current NFL. Mike McCoy employed that in his offense, but he's not around anymore. Bill Musgrave runs a very different scheme, and like you said, if free up a roster spot, I would have no problem get, getting rid of Janovich and using a tight end to block on the backfield if they need that. Yep. With a better offensive line, with the tight ends they have, they're not going to need a pure blocking fullback who doesn't really offer much in the passing game, doesn't really offer much as a runner. So if they had to cut him, I'd have no problem with that.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that particular situation shakes out. But the Broncos need impact, and Andy Janovich just doesn't play a position that can provide it. Now, moving on, we get into the sixth round with Sam Jones, the offensive guard from Arizona State. And by this point, many Broncos fans were starting to get worried that the team hadn't addressed offensive line. Now, after trading away Denver's second fifth rounder to the Rams, uh, they picked up two additional sixth rounders. I think I got that right. Um, two sixth round picks, right? Am I right on yep. that? Yeah. Okay. So by doing that, though, Elway assuaged those concerns, picking up the six foot five, three hundred twenty pound offensive guard out of Arizona State. Now. Jones was drafted with the 183rd pick in the sixth round, but this is a player who profiles similarly to Connor McGovern, who the Broncos took two years ago in the fifth round, but he might not be quite as strong. McGovern, of course, was the weight room freak that threw up all those reps on the bench press and just an, an animal when it comes to power and strength. Talking to Eric Trickle, Sam Jones is a guy who's athletic as an offensive guard, and he plays with a mean attitude, which is one of the things the Broncos were drawn to and especially new offensive interior offensive line coach Sean Krugler. But Jones doesn't quite have the power you'd like to see from a player of his size. However, he does have the frame to put on some more weight, and I'm confident, Zach, that working with Denver's coaches and that strength and conditioning staff, that issue can be addressed.
0: Yeah, he needs about a year to develop. I don't think he's going to come in from day one and push for a starting role, even though they have right guard right now up in the air technically. Uh, I like Jones. but Broncos fans were really freaking out for a while about why they're neglecting the O-line. A lot of Broncos fans didn't realize that the O-line is already much improved from last year. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's even close. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's a lot to like with Jones. He's athletic. He's well-built. He needs to put on some weight. He was a, a Thunder Ridge High School grad. There's some a local connection there. Right, right. What I like about him in pass protection is that he allowed no sacks or quarterback hits last year, and he was an honorable mention for All-Pac-12. So there's some definitely some foundation to build on, and it was a good get in this round at that spot. They needed a, a, a guard to develop. I think in a year or so he'll be ready to push for a starting role.
1: Yeah, definitely kind of a preemptive move, and that's what you expect to see right in the sixth round is – you know, taking chances on guys or planning for the future. And in this case, it gives Denver even more options for post-2018 when it comes to Matt Paradis and whether or not, you know, they he might be, you know, he might end up being too rich for their blood. They might not be able to afford to bring Matt Paradis back. And if that happens, you got a Sam Jones, you got a Connor McGovern on the roster ready to step in and, and rock and roll. So solid pick, solid pick that's going to, eventually make an impact down the road. But I agree with Zach, probably not for a good year. But moving on to the second pick the Broncos had in the sixth round, we got to set the stage with the fact that the Broncos lost Corey Nelson in free agency. And before the draft, Zaire Anderson was really the only depthed off-ball linebacker that you could hang your hat on, and that's not saying much for the Broncos. So they addressed the position, as we touched on in the fourth round, with Josie Jewell. And then again here with their second pick in the sixth round in Washington's Keyshawn Bieria. Now, Bieria is a guy that might not have those elite explosive traits that you love from your off-ball linebackers, but he is a tackling machine. He's you know hard-nosed player. And one thing I've noticed just briefly watching tape on him, he's got a penchant for knifing through uh, the line of scrimmage and making plays behind the line of scrimmage. So for a sixth-round flyer, Zach, I think it's a solid pick.
0: And this is the part of the draft where you're kind of just taking shots on players who might stick, might not stick, might never play it down, might be an all-star. For a six-round pick and fourth position of need after losing Corey Nelson and only with Zaire Anderson, you could do a lot worse than this guy who's going to come in. And another high character, a very smart, intelligent, high football IQ guy. So going to help in on special teams, on the defense, as a deep reserve, a guy who's good in pass coverage. The Broncos are really, really tired of getting beaten by tight ends and running backs in the middle of the field, and I think they now have the inside linebackers
1: to keep up with NFL offenses. Yep, and depth, depth, depth. The Broncos are adding depth, and they're adding competition, which can only make the roster stronger. And then finally, we move into the seventh-round pick, which the Broncos picked up from Seattle. The team took the six-foot Two hundred and thirty-six. Excuse me, 226-pound Arkansas running back David Williams. Now, if there is a pick in this entire class that I questioned, it would probably be this one. But at the same time, I understand why the Broncos would take David Williams. He's a player that they were going to target after the draft anyway. So rather than have to run the risk of, of him choosing another team as a college free agent or even maybe getting drafted, the Broncos just said, you know, we're going to invest a seventh-round pick in him. And they picked him up. But, again, another smart player, uh, uh, college graduate, a physical football player with his priorities in order. In other words, this is a mature guy who, even as a seventh-round, late-round flyer, can step in and bring some, some, uh, I guess, maturity is the word I'm looking for, to the youth side of the Broncos roster. And I think in the seventh round, Zach, you know, I don't love it. But I don't fault the Broncos for adding a player with those kind of intangibles at a position of need.
0: I'm with you. I, I think John Elway had a tremendous draft haul, arguably his best as Broncos GM. But I wasn't really crazy about these last two picks. They could have gone in different areas, especially considering the fact that that they kind of doubled up on these two positions earlier in the draft. Hmm. So I, I like this guy. I like what he offers. He's a very productive rusher. He has some good bounce to his game. But I think they should have taken a quarterback, a flyer on a guy, maybe address the position, maybe defensive end with Adam Gotts' situation up in the air, Derek Wolf coming off surgery, other positions of need that could have been prioritized over another running back. Right. But For a flyer, for a seventh-round pick, if it works out, great. If it doesn't, you're not losing anything. So we'll see what he does in training camp, and hopefully he can stick on the
1: 53. Okay, now, as we get into, of course, at the end of every draft, the Broncos go out just like the other 31 teams in the NFL, and they'll sign a college free agent class. Uh, NFL-caliber players like your Chris Harris Jr. and your C.J. Andersons who are good enough to play in the NFL but slip through the draft – they negotiate with them they recruit them very they sell them on why they should pick their team and they sign them to you know very small signing bonuses 2 grand i think last year Jamal Carter the safety from Miami was the highest paid uh, bonus to an undrafted rookie for the Broncos who earned $20,000 to sign in Denver so it's a short-term investment to see if they can find some long-term hits and, you know, a lot of these guys are the are the, are the the dudes that fill out the bottom of the roster. And as we know, the Broncos, and this is a settling point for them when they're trying to recruit these college free agents, have a storied history at not only having undrafted guys make the roster, but go on to do great things like make Pro Bowls, earn big contracts, and the like. So what we know at the start, we're recording this podcast Saturday evening. What we knew going in on who the Broncos have signed are as follows. And this should make... Those of you in Colorado, the core of Broncos country, smile because I was wondering why the Broncos didn't use that sixth or seventh round, second sixth round pick or that seventh round pick on this very player. And it turns out there was a reason why. Philip Lindsey, the Colorado Buffalo, little diminutive running back who's drawn some comparisons to Chris Thompson, uh, but he's a multifaceted player, totaled 765 carries, for over 3,000 yards and 36 touchdowns over four seasons for the Buffaloes. I mean, as a multi tool guy who, very similar to D'Angelo Henderson, can come in and contribute in a lot of ways, I really like this addition.
0: I do too, and I'd rather have him than Williams in the seventh round, like you said. But he, the Broncos like him, they met with him after a local pro day. It's a guy who can catch out of the backfield. He, he can run well. He's another, a yet another high-profile, high-character guy, very smart, a very good person. And to have that backfield now with Booker, with Freeman, with Henderson, Williams, and Lindsey, competition is the name of the game. It's only going to make that position better. And I think for my money, I think Lindsey beats out Williams for that spot. He might be on the practice squad, but I think Lindsey is a guy who can be stashed away. He can make something for himself in the future.
1: And definitely he will be a favorite in the hearts of a lot of the fans being a Colorado product. And then there's the outside linebacker from Auburn, Jeff Holland. I'll be honest with you, I know very little about this guy. Uh, Zach put here in the notes for our show that he had 13 tackles for a loss, 10 sacks in 2017, and that he was given a mid-round grade uh, by some draft analysts. So there's some value there for the Broncos being able to pick him up post-draft.
0: I can't believe this guy went undrafted. He had a third or fourth round grade, if not higher, by some draft analyst. And to get him for nothing in as an undrafted free agent, it just adds another potential pass rusher to that defense to go along with Chubb, Miller, Shane Ray, and Shaq Barrett. I, I like the you can't hate the pickup at all. It only can make them better. I think he has a chance to stick. They have some linebackers on, on the roster right now at OLB. They could probably get rid of. I think Holland beats them out. Great pickup. It just goes on to add that final cherry on top of what has been a a great, great three days by Don Elway.
1: Okay. Now, before we get out of here, I want to just touch on some of the implications from this uh, class. We'll grade the class and then just take a couple of questions because we are running a little bit long by the time we get out of here. I want to keep it tight to about an hour. But uh, when it comes to implications, here's the things that we've touched on throughout this whole conversation. From this Broncos draft class, Elway targeted players who – not only have talent and wherewithal in the physical sense, but also mature guys, mostly seniors, guys who've graduated college, due to love football, have maturity, have strong work ethics, to come in and be a part of the Denver Broncos and push the roster from the bottom. Now, Zach, let me throw this over to you first when it comes to just overall takeaways from this draft class implications you know reading between the lines and also of course analyzing what Denver is getting at face value what are the takeaways for you
0: they're getting instant day one contributors I I like the fact that Elway did not reach for anyone he didn't panic he let the board fall to him he had some very good fortune on his side and he got he filled glaring areas of need with high upside high quality stud players there's nothing not to like about this draft class. You can nitpick about the last couple picks or so, but he filled his biggest needs. He went best player available. He stuck to his guns, and I I cannot be more impressed with this
1: draft haul. Can't disagree with any of that. From a grade perspective again, I have to qualify this by saying it's it's, you know, we're we we can only grade this class based on what we know of these players now and what the Broncos needs are as a roster. And Down the road, of course, in retrospect, we're going to be able to go back and grade this group just like we could 2016, 2017, and, you know, even farther back. But knowing what we know now, Zach, I'll let you go first. On a grading scale, just like school, A to F, what do you give this class?
0: I can't not give it an A. I, I just – to start off with Bradley Chubb and to follow that with Cortland Sutton at number 40 and to snowball that into all the other picks, like I said, he filled every single need he had and he got the best players available, logical, high upside, stud, day one players. I have to give him an A. I, I also thought last year's draft class was among Elway's best. I liked It didn't work out. You need a couple years at least to see it play out before you can make a, a final call on it. But I would say, without a doubt, this is easily Elway's best draft class as Broncos GM.
1: I cannot disagree. I would I would only go, just because I was a little bit disappointed uh, by the final pick in the draft, I wasn't disappointed by the fact that the Broncos ultimately chose not to take a quarterback at pick five because of the caliber of player that they ended up going with in Bradley Chubb. But my final grade for now, okay, we'll, we'll re-examine this a year down the road, but I give them plus, which is just shy of what Zach's getting. We're, We're pretty much sharing a brain on this issue. John Elway filled needs, and not only did he plug those holes, but he brought in guys that have great balance of character and talent. And again, another one of these themes that run through this entire draft class, all 10 picks, are guys who can come in and make an immediate impact. Even if that's on special teams, each one of these guys can have a role for a Broncos team. That was lackluster in 2018, or excuse me, 2017, and they just need to turn the ship around. I think the Broncos made some enormous strides over the last three days in getting that done. Now, before we get out of here, we put out a call. Some of you guys have questions as it relates to the draft in your Denver Broncos. We've touched on this already, but from Tucker Ibarra, real quick, Zach, are we currently confident with the offensive line?
0: It's much improved no matter how you dice it from 2017 and even 2016. They're moving Ronald Leary back to left guard from right guard. Left guard at his natural spot, which he played in Dallas. He was arguably the best Broncos lineman last year, and putting him back at left guard would only make him better. You're retaining Matt Paradis, is one of the best centers in the NFL. You're hoping, and they probably will get a, a sophomore contribution, a bigger, better season from Garrett Bowles at left tackle. He has all the makings of a franchise left tackle. And they fill the right tackle need by trading for Jared Valdir from the Cardinals. That was their biggest hole going into the offseason, other than quarterback. He is a massive, massive upgrade, which isn't saying much, on Menelik Watson, on Donald Stevenson. And if he's healthy, he will be a potential top 15 right tackle. The only question mark potentially is right guard. But even then, you have Connor McGovern who can play there. You have Menelik Watson who's probably a better guard than tackle. You have a couple options, Billy Turner, Sam Jones who they just drafted. So overall, it is much improved and it should have a, a instant beneficial Factor on the passing game and the running game.
1: My only concern with the offensive line is just the long-term viability at right tackle. They still don't have that long-term solution at that position, but with the trade made to acquire Jared Valdir, they have a window. They have time to figure that out. And it's, you know, even if they lose Valdir at the end of 2018... They can go to the free agent class next year. They can go to the draft and try and find a long-term solution. And there's even the chance in the meantime that a guy like Elijah Wilkinson uh, or the kid from Alabama, Cyrus Quanjo, might be able to provide that long-term viability at right tackle. But I agree with Zach that this is a very different offensive line than what Broncos fans have kind of become accustomed to over the last few years. And I look for them to take a major step forward in 2018. Now, a couple more. Here's a question from Ocean Reaper Z. How confident are we with Lynch or Kelly being that number two behind Keenum? Zach?
0: Z, I love it. Um, I, uh, I, I want to see how it plays out in training camp. I want to see how they compete. I want to see Paxton Lynch with finally some offensive continuity with the same returning offensive coordinator. I want to see him in his third season now in his make or break third season. I want to see Chad Kelly finally healthy, so I can't say right now if I'm comfortable with them, but I think it's going to be a good battle, and I think one of them should step up and be a viable number two. If I had to put my money down right now, I think Chad Kelly does win that spot, as you said earlier in the podcast, and I think he just has a much bigger ceiling. I think he's more pro-ready than Pax and Lynch, but I am comfortable you know, the backup quarterback is always the most popular player. That might not be the case with Pax and Lynch, but with Chad Kelly, that is that wild card. I'm very, very intrigued by what he can do this summer.
1: See, and I'm one of these guys that's, you know, you might say I'm a little bit crazy over Chad Kelly. I've just always really respected his game, and were it not for his machine gun persona and his off the field stuff, and then, of course, the injury bug that just bit him really hard in his final, final year at college. I see him as a player that wouldn't have slipped past the third or fourth round at the latest in last year's draft. So skill set wise, he has the wherewithal to come in and make an impact. I, I'll tell you right now, on on performance alone, I think he's going to beat out uh, Paxton Lynch to be the number two quarterback behind uh, Case Keenum. But whether or not the Broncos are going to you know, allow that to happen because again, it just gets more egg on their face if the seventh round guy comes in and beats out their first rounder to be the backup. We'll see how that plays out. But overall, you know, they have the experience in the starting position in Case Keenum and they will be rolling the dice a little bit with their backup, no matter which one of them wins the job. And and for now, I'm I'm fine with that. And then lastly, here's the last question, Zach, and we're gonna get out of here from AJ on Twitter. What's the plan with kick returner and punt returner? And who's the gunner? And I'll just take this first one real quick, Zach. The plan with kick returner, punt returner, Carlos Henderson's going to factor in. Brendan Langley's going to factor in. Brendan Langley had 30 yards per return last year in six opportunities as a kick returner. And then Isaiah McKenzie, but I'll say this too, Zach. I have a hard time seeing Isaiah McKenzie even making the squad this year. Really? Yeah. Just with with the, the, uh, the talent they've added in the draft, Isaiah McKenzie, I think... He's, he's another one of these guys put on notice. I have a hard time seeing him make it.
0: It would be interesting if they cut a fifth-round draft pick after only one season, but he was so disastrous last year that you can probably make the case that he should be gone. I think he actually will be in the competition to, to be the punt returner, along with Jordan Taylor, who's very sure-handed, kind of shifty in his own way, kind of deceptively fast, as the cliche goes. And I think Isaiah McKenzie, I think a lot of his – fault last year it was more mental he shouldn't have been on the field to begin with and that fell on Vance Joseph and Brock Mm -hmm. Olivo I do think he will make the team but he will have to you know prove that he should be on the team like you said to add a lot of talent he'll be in that spot to be the punt returner with Jordan Taylor and I agree with you about kick returner Carlos Henderson if he is healthy he has that game-breaking potential I think he'll be the kick returner along with Langley
1: As a gunner, oh, and one one thing I'll mention is I don't remember how long exactly. I think it was a year. Uh, Actually, it might not even made it out of training camp, but the Broncos, what was it, 2013 or 14, took Tavares King from Georgia in the fifth round, and he didn't last too long. So there is a precedent there, and I I understand it would be a a loss for the Broncos to have wasted a fifth-round pick. But considering the struggles that McKenzie had as a rookie and the demands they have now, if he doesn't show some great strides going into year two and kind of have his you-know-what together between the years, I think you could see him on the bubble. But as a gunner, I think you've flooded the roster with a lot of young guys who are going to be able to get down the field like Isaac Yadam, a couple of the linebackers. I don't think that's going to be a problem for the Broncos moving forward.
0: I think Hamilton, too, the receiver, could be a gunner. He's very quick and he can contribute on specials. And to your point about the precedent, that was a different regime, and I think it's very fluid based on the different situations. What I like about Isaiah McKenzie, you can cut him, you can make the case you can cut him, but he just has so much raw potential there. He is that that Dante Hall light. You know, He's the same, the Devin Hester mold as a punt returner. I was so excited to see him get drafted by the Broncos, and it personally, it just would be a shame if they gave up on him after a very, very poorly coached 2017 season.
1: And let's hope that doesn't happen. I mean, I'm, I'm far be it from me, I'm not pounding the table to uh, cut Isaiah McKenzie today, but I think he's really going to have to prove himself and show some strides to solidify a roster spot this time around, just with the messages the Broncos have sent on draft day, and we'll see how it plays out with the undrafted class, but they're pretty close to 90 now, so I think it was, Zach, what, seven or eight guys is all they could sign to, to stay under at 90 guys, something like that?
0: Yeah, it was up to eight eight guys, I think.
1: Yeah, so after taking ten guys in the draft and everything else. So anyway, but listen, great draft hall, great draft show post draft show, but that's gonna do it for today. You can find my partners at Kelberman on Twitter at Kelberman two four seven and myself at Chad and Jensen. If you have questions, always hit us up on Twitter. We'll try to address them on the show. Best way to get a direct response. Hit us up on MHH Insiders, the premium message board, on the website. But we're always going to try to engage with you, our listeners. We love to do it as often as we can. Don't forget to join. Become a Mile High Huddle VIP, and make sure you're subscribing, y'all. For Zach, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile High Huddle.